We're going to talk about attributes of the church on mission. Attributes of the church on mission. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we're a part of a church on the go, a church in mission. Father, we pray that you would just breathe on this, that you would help us to understand your word, that you would give us your spirit to teach us all things. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what I wanted to accomplish today is to help us to continue to focus on the mission of Jesus, the mission that he has assigned all of us to walk together in as a church. And so with the pandemic, a lot of people are moving in fear instead of faith, and it's destroying some churches. As a matter of fact, the giving is down in many of the churches, some up to 40%. Attendance has now gone up past 50%. Some of it is driven by true concern, but some of it is driven by the media and fear. And what we need to do is we have to constantly look at what the Word of God teaches us so that we stay focused, that we stay in mission. And so there's a few things I will talk about, and we're basing it on the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a book of action. It shows what the church should be like, and it is definitely a church on mission, a church that understands its assignment from the Lord. And uh, that's why it's called the book of Acts, not the book of theory or the book of truth. And, you know, in the Word of God, it's put up or shut up. You know, you really believe in God? Then let's see it. Let's see your actions. And that's how the church should be. And so the first thing we're going to do is go to the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The writer of the book of Acts is Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he said, in the first book, O Theophilus, he's writing to a, a wealthy, influential guy, named Theophilus, and he said in the first book, and he's talking about the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up. And so what he's saying in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, is the book of Acts is part two of the Gospel of Luke. So the first part is what Jesus began to do. The book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do through the church. It's all about the church, a narrative about the church. So that shows us that the church is the continuation of the bodily presence of God in the world. That's amazing. You hear what I said? You know, we understand Jesus as the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. The church is the continuation of of the Word of God, Jesus' body becoming flesh. So we are the continuation of the what we would call the incarnation of Christ. Jesus was incarnated. That means he took upon himself a physical body. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 that we are the body of Christ. We are the visible manifestation of the invisible Christ. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his voice. If God wants to do something in the world, he first goes to his church. If God wants to help the poor, he goes to his church. If God wants to solve problems in a community, he goes first to the church. If the church is just 
concerned about their own little gathering on Sunday once a week, then he has to bypass them and go to those who don't know him. We are called to be the problem solvers. As Jesus is in heaven, so are we in the earth. And as Jesus walked the earth among sinners, and as he healed the sick, as he multiplied bread, as he took care of physical and emotional needs, God has called the church to be on mission to also start meeting practical needs of people, whether it be individually or through what we do primarily as uh, children of the city. And I don't know how many of you know how many hundreds of people every week are getting fed and how many people are getting ministered to through that nonprofit arm that we have, and as well the fact that many things that we do as individuals. And so we as the church, not just Rez, but the body of Christ, is a church that continues the bodily presence of Christ on the earth. Jesus is the head of the church. We are the neck down. That's powerful. So we have to understand that in mission. Number two, it tells us that the church on mission will continue to pray corporately until there's a great outbreak of the Spirit. And we see in the book of Acts that when Jesus ascended into heaven, that the 120 that were in the upper room continued steadfastly in one accord in prayer. And they wound up praying together for 10 days. Hard enough to get people to show up for an hour to pray. They prayed for 10 days. And the result was chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, or when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one accord in one place, and suddenly they saw cloven tongues of fire descending from heaven, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and there was a huge outbreak of the Spirit that wound up resulting in 3,000 coming to Christ the first day of Pentecost. Isn't that amazing? So the church was born after a 10-day prayer meeting. So the church on mission is always going to prioritize corporate prayer. We're going to, corporate, we're going to incorporate regular seasons of prayer. So every week we pray online with Zoom. Uh, after the pandemic broke, we were doing it three days a week. There are many prayer gatherings through phone as well. And then once a month, we all come together. I think it's this Tuesday. We all come physically together uh, to pray. And so we are a church on mission. We also have seasons of prayer, like uh, during the time of what the world would call Halloween. Uh, the church calls it All Saints Day. Uh, October 31st, we have three days of fasting and prayer. We call it a solemn assembly. And we do that to counter the spells of the witches and the warlocks and the covens that fast and pray during October 31st. During that season, they fast and pray to destroy churches, marriages, and put curses on uh, Christians. And we counter that, and we have some of the greatest times in the spirit and moves of God in October because we counter that time. In prayer, and there's so many other things that we do. January, the second week, we have five days of prayer and fasting, consecrated prayer. Then we practice the season of Lent when people take turns praying for 40 days, fasting and praying. We have a sign up in the back. 
leading up to Easter Sunday and the uh, Passover or Good Friday. So we're always a church focused on prayer because the church in mission focuses on corporate prayer. Third attribute of the church in mission is that they will continue to practice the four essentials of what some call apostolicity, what an apostolic church is mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 2. It says, and they devoted themselves, meaning those who came to Christ, the 3,000 who came to Christ that day, it says a few verses after that was mentioned, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and to the fellowship. Those four things. That's what we focus on here. We teach the word of God. That's called the apostles' doctrine because what we teach has come to us, handed down to us from the apostles, especially uh, the New Testament. And the apostles also taught from, from the Old Testament. So the whole thing was validated by the apostles, by Jesus, who said that the whole Bible teaches about him. You see that in Luke 24, verse 44. He said that the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets all point to him. And then after that, the apostles, what they taught, point back to what he did and the death, burial, and resurrection. And so when we teach as a church, we are carrying on the apostolic tradition of the apostles' doctrine. So we are a teaching church. We do that on purpose because we don't want you to follow uh, man-made concoctions. We want you to follow that which was laid down to us, given to us, as we mentioned with the Apostles' Creed that comes from the Apostles' teaching. So they gave themselves to the teaching. They gave themselves to the breaking of bread. That's why we have communion every week. It ensures that our church remains focused on Jesus. The communion speaks to us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. By communion, we're proclaiming the gospel. We're always pointing to the fact that it's by his wounds we have been healed. We're always pointing to the fact that as he lived, so we live. As he rose, so we are united with his resurrection. And one day we will be united with him, spirit, soul, and body for eternity. So we're a church that always, every week, without fail, we have communion. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. We already spoke about that. And to the fellowship, meaning that their friendship, everything they did, even their socialization centered around the gospel, centered around what God called them to do and be. So that's a church on mission. Number four, church on mission looks at every challenge as an opportunity. Some would say every challenge is an opportunity. And believe me, we have more challenges to come in this nation. But the church on mission looks at that as an opportunity. You could either cower in a corner, go in fetal position and die. I remember it was like my, uh, I got an x-ray about 15 years ago. Recently I got tested for COVID. I got, came out negative for COVID but positive for insanity, but that's another story. I remember 15 years ago, a doctor checked my back because I used to work out with weights a lot, starting in sports ring when I was 11. 
I'm stronger than I was 12 than I am now. I was doing 12 to 90 pounds, 30 pounds without moving my body. I was a beast at 12 years old, but unfortunately, I destroyed my cartilage. I have no cartilage in my lower back. So the doctor said to me, you're okay as long as you don't do any heavy-duty sports. Meanwhile, I'm doing martial arts. I'm doing skiing. I'm going down double black diamonds. I'm going, I said, oh, okay, fine. And I talked to people who were trainers who really were athletic. They said, man, if you listen to everything the doctor tells you, you're going to wind up becoming a vegetable. And, you know, you work out around the back so that your muscles are strong enough to make up and compensate for the lack of cartilage. And that's what I've done. And I don't have any pain. I feel fine. I'm, I could do stuff I couldn't do 20 years ago. But the point is, you could look at a challenge and say, I'm not going to do anything anymore. But God says every challenge is an opportunity to go to another level of effectiveness in your life. Now, the early church had big challenges. In Acts chapter 6, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they were overlooking the Greek-speaking widows in the daily distribution of food. They didn't have welfare, and if their husbands died, they had no way of supporting themselves. So the church was ministering to them, but they were only ministering to those who were speaking Hebrew. They neglected the Hellenistic widows, those Jews that were Greek mainly, or spoke Greek. So there was prejudice. So it was brought to Peter's attention, and the result of that was they set up the office of the diaconate. If you want to know what the deacons are, go to 1 Timothy 3. They uh, entrusted seven men to take care of that, and so a whole new office that for the last 2,000 years has been so effective in blessing the body of Christ came out of that problem. They didn't get, you know, oh, my God, what are we going to do? we, we got to give up. Uh, there's too many problems. No. What are you saying, God? Let's come to a solution. And God gave them the solution. The worst problem they had was persecution broke out. People lost their homes. People were getting killed. Starting from Acts 7, uh, we have Stephen who was martyred or killed for his faith. Again, what happened? It tells us in the book of Acts chapter 8. There arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they all were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Now, chapter 8, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. The whole city was filled with joy. God moved in signs, wonders, and miracles. That wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a persecution. Sort of like what happened to these poor people in Afghanistan who lost everything. They have to resettle. When these people resettled, it was the worst thing that the devil ever tried to do. The devil brought a persecution, and they began to preach. What the devil meant for evil, God used for good. And because of that, there was a church born in Samaria, and then three chapters later, the church was born in Antioch that sent Barnabas and Paul, who became the great missionaries, and it started the great missionary expansion of the church to the ends of the earth. 
See, that didn't happen until the devil incited a riot and martyred them and tried to persecute the church. So everything the devil does, God has another trick up his sleeve. The thing is, look to the Lord. The church on mission is never stopped. Someone say the church on mission is never stop, never stops. The church on mission always goes to another level. The greater the devil, the greater the level. The greater the challenge, the greater the elevation. And that's how we have to be in our own lives. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to know how to reinvent yourself, as Ted did when uh, he got affected in his jewelry company. He didn't just cower in a corner in fetal position. He began to reinvent himself, reimagine himself, reimage his business. You have to constantly do that with the changing tides, changing situations and issues. Every church, every 10 years has to reinvent themselves because of changing demographics, different people coming, economic problems, pressures, development, zoning, so many different things. And yet the apostolic church is up to the challenge because by the Spirit of God, we go to another level. The churches that refuse to change are strewn throughout Fourth Avenue, big edifices with nobody meeting in them. Some of those buildings are sustained by AA meetings and NA meetings and other kinds of meetings. Some of them, you know, may be turned into developments, as we saw on uh, 65th Street and 4th Avenue. And in some parts of the country, some of those churches are turned into mosques, especially in Europe. That's a church that cowers away in a corner. That's a church on mission, reinvents itself by God's grace, and goes to another level. How many want to be a church on mission? Praise God. Number five, the church on mission demonstrates the power of the resurrection in the marketplace. Here we come to be equipped. Here we are the church gathered. But when you leave, that's when the real mission begins. The church gathered becomes the church scattered that brings the reign of God, the kingdom of God, to every aspect of society. It tells us in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. But people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. That all took place outside. Folks, God wants to use you wherever you are. Whatever your call is, if you, you work in the MTA and the buses and the trains, if you own a business, if you're a barber like Eric, you can minister to people. Everywhere you are, shows Jesus. You reflect his body, and you're reflecting his reign. As Jesus told us to pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, on earth is big. That means every aspect of society, every aspect of culture, not just two hours in a building on Sunday. The devil would never be happier if all we thought about Christianity was coming to church on Sunday for two hours. That's what the world wants. The world wants us to 
stay stuck in a box. God says, no, I want you to come together to be instructed, to edify, to do life together, to build relations and do small groups during the week, to meet each other. But I don't want you to limit my activity to a building. You ought to bring my glory, my power, my presence outside into every aspect of society. That's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is here on earth, not just in a building. And if we ever lost our building, we'll meet across the street. We'll meet in your house. We'll put up a tent. The church will never be stopped. We'll meet in the subways. We'll meet on the boats. We'll meet anywhere we have to meet. The church will thrive. The church will not just survive. The church will continue to be the voice of God, the feet of God, the heart of God, and the hands of Jesus to this world, no matter what. The church produces martyrs, the true church, and confessors. We read in Acts chapter 7 how Stephen was killed for his faith. What does that teach us? The Bible teaches us basically this. Life is not worth living unless there is something worth dying for. Christianity is about living a crucified life. Paul said, I die daily. Jesus said, if you lose your life, you will find it. Every one of us are called to be willing to die for Jesus, whether it's die to self or die physically. Confessors throughout church history, like Maximus the Confessor, lost part of their limbs because they refused to deny Christ. They cut out Maximus's tongue, and I think his hands, so he couldn't write anymore. And so the church has produced martyrs. That means confess, that means witnesses. Stephen, the first one in Acts chapter 7. As a matter of fact, his death was so eventful that Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of heaven, actually stood up to receive him. We see that in Acts chapter 7. As Stephen was being stoned to death for preaching the gospel, it says, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And right before that, he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus was so impressed that he stood up to watch his son faithfully martyred for the gospel. Today, there are more people martyred and killed for Christ than there are at any time in history, even more than the early church, even more when they were put in front of lions and leopards and beasts in the Roman Colosseums. People are being killed for Christ in Iran. The Taliban is hunting Christians right now as we speak. All over the world, Nigeria, Boko Haram, killings, burnings, thousands of Christians. Uh, it's going on everywhere. Indonesia, Pakistan, India, it's crazy what's going on there. 
people never even, that most of them never even ask their faith. What an honor to God that you, the greatest honor that you could ever have. That doesn't preach well in America where we use the gospel for living a life of comfort. You're supposed to live a life of crucifixion. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. So the church on mission is a church that produces martyrs and confessors. Number seven, and in this country, we think we're getting persecuted. We haven't seen anything. Number seven, the church on mission witnesses dramatic conversions. Acts chapter nine, we see that after the great persecution broke out, instigated by Saul, that Saul, who was still breathing out murderous threats, chapter 9, verse 1 says, he was going to Damascus, he put to death people belonging to the way, both men and women, so he could bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you should do. Wow. I believe that's a principle, not just a snapshot that's descriptive. I believe God wants to save the most, some of the most influential people in every community, in every generation. As Saul was the most influential of the persecutors and Pharisees, I believe God wants to save some in the Taliban, some in ISIS. I believe that the Muslims are a future harvest field for the gospel, uh, where they are, in, in a sense, they're the brothers of Abraham. I'm believing God that he's going to turn around the Islamic world. Instead of looking at them as foes, look at them as friends. And understand that even in our own communities, the most influential of the people, I believe if we pray and believe God, we could see them saved. Even if people don't even know who they are, the ones who have that potential. Because God's not stupid. His hand is upon those who are going to have the most, uh, uh, the loudest voice. The ones who are going to reap the most in the kingdom. So the church in mission believes God for dramatic conversions. How many are going to believe God for dramatic conversions? People that you could never believe, never doubt. My God, people that you know, people in your family, people who you think are hopeless. My mother called me the devil. She didn't ever think I'd ever get saved. I had a lot of influence in my community. As a musician, I had hundreds of people follow me. None of my friends ever thought I was hungry for God. None of them ever thought in a million years that I was praying every night. I'd come home drunk and pray. You never know what's going on in the heart of people. Go after the biggest gangbangers, the biggest drug dealers, the business people, the entrepreneurs. Go after them. Believe God for them. Don't doubt. God bigger than anybody's I have faith. And when I came to Christ, my friends were shocked. And thank God, most of them received Christ at one point. Or many of them, I should say. Eight, the church and mission produces disciples. It says in Acts 14, verse 21, when they preached the gospel to that city, they made many disciples. 
Jesus said, make disciples in, in Matthew 28, 19. He said they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through much tribulation we will enter the kingdom of God. God has called us to make disciples. He's not interested in just having crowds. Disciples are those who are disciplined, those who are focused, those who are taught. Disciples. God wants you to be a disciple of Christ, not just an attender of a church service. You can still be saved and go to heaven if you're not a disciple, because you're not saved by works. But God's highest call for you is that you be a devoted follower, disciple of Christ. That's what he wants for you. Number nine, the church in mission positively affects the surrounding community. Wow, I love this. We're going to, yep, this, this and another point and we're ending. Clock says I'm out of time. That means the anointing must have left me. I don't know. <laughs> Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, when Philip went to Samaria to preach the gospel, it says, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many. Now, this is in the street. I've cast more devils out of people in the street than I have in the church building came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Now, what was the result of that? It said that there was much joy in the city. Someone say joy in the city. Someone want, how many want joy in our city? We want joy in our city. We want the demonstration of God and his power. That's what's going to bring joy. In Acts 17, 7. When the disciples came into Macedonia, they said, These are the men who have turned the world upside down. That's what they were known as, world changers, world shakers. Now too many churches are worried about what color the carpet is. It was up to me. I'd meet in a dog barn. I wouldn't care. We're called to turn the world upside down. Doesn't matter what it looks like in here. It matters what it looks like out there. When we take our faith and we bring a demonstration of Christ to the world. In Acts 19.10 says, Paul took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents, someone say residents, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You see, what happened in the building resulted in all the residents hearing the word of the Lord. What did that mean? That means that when they were discipled, they went out and made disciples and they preached. They constantly shared the gospel wherever they went. Later on, we see that the fear of Jesus fell on the whole city eventually. Wow. And in this community, when we started, this place was a wreck. Central Park was one of the worst in the whole city. We proved that the gospel not only saves sinners, but lifts communities. Within 10 to 12 years, Moritz and Fred Rutherford, they could bear witness to all the street meetings, signs and wonders in the street. 
fasting, praying, filled in this city. We had 500 kids coming in every week. We had four buses. We had vehicles. We met 18 years every week, bringing 500 kids, 300 kids. One time we had 700. I don't know how we fit them. After about 12 years with that gentrification, we saw this community totally change, quality of life, transformation. Let me tell you something. The sociologists won't give us credit or the church credit, but I know what happened. And so does other people that were shocked when they walked with us throughout those years. The church changes cities, not just individuals. Number 10, last but not least, the church in mission continues to proclaim the gospel unhindered in spite of difficult circumstances. It's a little different from the other point where difficult circumstances lead to an opportunity for something more. This is slightly different. They continue to proclaim the gospel unhindered. In Acts chapter 4, after they were beaten, I mean beaten, they were persecuted, they were hurt physically, they went and had a prayer meeting, and this is what they said. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word through us with all boldness. Instead of praying for their persecution to leave, they prayed for boldness to preach in spite of persecution. In the last verse of the book of Acts, I love it, the last two verses, it says, Paul lived in his own rented house, he was under house arrest, at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him. And what did he do there? He was playing dominoes all day there. It says, he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, nothing hindering. The last words of the book of Acts, nothing hindering. Turn your house into a gospel center. Use your car to bring people to church. Do whatever you can to get people saved because we don't have much time left in our lives. Church on mission ends with those words. The book of Acts chapter 29 is ours. They preach the gospel, nothing hindered, meaning nothing could stop them. Man, I'll tell you, COVID didn't kill us didn't stop us as a church. Unfortunately, some individuals did pass, but the church continued. Economic meltdown has happened. We're still here. The Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. As long as we continue to function together, you may have problems personally. You may have marital issues, kids' problems, business. doesn't matter. You stay together. And the church together, the enemy cannot defeat. If you isolate yourself, you can't be defeated. But together, we will make it and we will thrive. Let's all stand. I thank God. We're a church on mission. Someone say, thank God that we're a church on mission. If there's anybody who wants prayer, I'm going to ask the, those on the prayer team, whether it's the elders, pastors, or leaders to help us pray, just come up here.
anybody who wants to uh, get prayed for, uh, if there's anyone who wants to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you're welcome to come and ask questions, and we can pray for you if you want. So at any point, you could walk up for prayer, for physical healing, or just challenges in your life, whatever it is, or you just want someone to bless you. But we're going we're gonna to close this service in prayer. Father, we thank you that we could be a church in mission. We thank you, God, that for such a time as this, you brought us into your kingdom. We thank you that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things in the past, nor anything in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. For you said that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. You said that you're an ever-present help in time of trouble. You said you're our shepherd, and because you're our shepherd, we shall lack nothing. You said in your word that you are the door, and that if we enter in, we shall be saved. You said that no one is greater than the Father, and because of that, no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. You said that you'll bring us before your presence without spot, wrinkle, and without accusation. You said that we are protected by faith in the power of God. You said that we could put on the shield of faith by which we can quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. You said that we could pray all prayers for all the saints and persevere in prayer for one another. Oh God, we thank you that you're a shield and buckler. Thank you that those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall rest under the shadow of the Almighty because you are our dwelling place from one generation to another. We thank you, God. We rest in your love. Some put their trust in mighty weapons, in armor, in AK-47s. We put our trust in the Lord our God, from whom we have the victory. And now we commit your church to you. Thank you. Bless their coming in and going out. May your face shine upon them. May you bless every endeavor. May you protect them. And may you encourage them and help them to pour over your word, to connect to a small group, and to be connected by coming to church this Tuesday night as we have corporate prayer together once a month at 7.30. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.